When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here with you, along with ESPN's Courtney Cronin. Courtney, uh, just a smooth and easy week. Nothing going on here at Winter Park. Pretty calm. As Case Keenum would say, business as usual. Well, Stefan Diggs was totally unaware of anything going on with the quarterback situation or really anything else. Because well, I mean, this is he doesn't watch TV. Can you fault him? I mean, he lives in a box, clearly, as most athletes do who say they don't watch TV or don't go on the Internet or don't go on Twitter, don't read anything. But, you know, if, if we're all living in Stefan Diggs' world, there is no quarterback controversy and there's nothing going on. There he might, had to be reminded of it by you, I believe, earlier. There might not even be an NFL, really. Would that be the worst thing? Kidding. I, I just want to like set your listeners on fire a little bit earlier in the show. Uh, I'm, I'm kidding about Stefan Diggs. I think everybody uh, tries to deal differently with deflecting questions about something like Teddy Bridgewater and Case Keenum's situation. Uh, Everson Griffin said, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And my guess is that's how the Vikings went about making the decision to start Case Keenum on Sunday. So my question for you, and then we've got other things yeah, we won't, we won't dwell on this too long because it's already been beaten to a pulp. Yeah, beautifully by me on yes, this podcast obviously. and all of my I mean, guests. It is your podcast. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but so I wrote an article yesterday about when Teddy Bridgewater could come back, what the different options are. And one of those options is in the middle of the game against the Rams. Mm-hmm. The other option could potentially be Thanksgiving, maybe even after Thanksgiving, to give him the 10-day break before the next game. Uh, where do you see this playing out? What, would, what odds would you put on him coming in mid-game versus down the road versus not at all? I think that my likelihood, my highest likelihood, is him going into the Detroit game because, as you said, I'm with you on that. It gives him 10 days to prepare. They're on a short week next week. It's a game on the road. They've lost three straight to the Lions. It's a critical division game, and maybe it does take some pressure off of him um, You know, doing, it, doing his first game away from U.S. Bank Stadium. Obviously, the Lions' defense is not – 
the Rams defense. You know, that they beat up on Teddy two years ago, and that was a really tough game, an overtime game. I think he got whacked in the head at some point during that. I mean, that was rough. So it's a smart and it's a smart decision given the circumstances to continue riding Case Keenum as far as he will take you. But if you are, you know, th- that's the one thing that we need to discuss. There's no perfect scenario for this. At some point, they do need to get him into the into this this year. I think that he spoke on Thursday and you know kind of did deflect when you know he was asked, "Do you need to play this year? Do you want to play this year?" I mean, you know, just going to do whatever is good for the team. On Sunday, he did say that he wants to play this year in Washington, and I think it's important for him and for the Vikings to see where he's at, not just for now, but for the playoffs and then the long term. But um, you know, I think my best bet is that. They do get him in that game in Detroit some way, and I think he, you know, if I had to guess, if there's a perfect scenario, which there's not, the most perfect, non-perfect scenario would be Detroit. I think so too, and I think Teddy could start preparing now for Detroit while everybody else is preparing for the Rams. Exactly. Not not that he doesn't want to be ready to potentially come in against the Rams, but start doing the early homework, uh, being the backup quarterback. There could be some advantage there potentially. I think kind of where we stand now and what we've seen from them continuing to play Case Keenum here is it might be Mike Zimmer is going to ride out Case Keenum until he struggles or until he loses. And I think what we've seen this season It's just interesting to go game by game and think about kind of the narrative versus the reality. Uh, Game by game, there have been quite a few frustrating performances by Case Keenum that just didn't really matter that much. I mean, against the Ravens, they couldn't move the ball through the air really at all. He finishes with an interception and 188 yards. Not a good performance by any means, but they win handily because uh, because Kai Forbath hit a bunch of uh, 50-yard field goals because Joe Flacco couldn't move the ball at all against this defense. And there are a number of performances along the way that probably would have gotten him benched if Teddy Bridgewater was ready to go. He didn't play good against Green Bay. No, I mean, not at that all. was not a good. I mean, the circumstances of that game cloud the whole quarterback situation as it was, but he threw an interception in that game. And um, I believe, I mean, that was the second quarter. Was Several that, other passes, too, that could have. Yeah, been. the one that Barr got. Um, the one that Barr got the. Uh, no, never mind. He Did he throw an interception in that game? Well, now I don't. I think there was one. Yeah, was, I think I'm there, trying I to remember when one. it was because I remember the bar when on the other side when Hunley threw an interception. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to say it came around then. Anyways, terrible performance against Green Bay. Really not good. Um, and I think there's other times too that you can point at. Hey, this just isn't great. I mean, the first half against Cleveland until he hit Thielen for that touchdown. I mean. There have been some moments, but really I don't think he's done enough to get himself benched. If those passes that he threw that became interceptions on back-to-back possessions in Washington, if those are returned for touchdowns, I think we're looking at a much different situation here. And if that does happen against the Rams, a very good defense with you know some good corners as well, um, not just a defensive line, that, which I'm sure we're going to talk about, but... I think that that could be a deciding factor, too. I mean, you talk about him not playing over, looking over his shoulder, that's great. But in reality, his play is going to be so scrutinized from here on out that it could lead to you know some poor decision-making and just stuff that he does in the heat of the moment. It's really interesting to uh, gauge the response to this entire thing that I get uh, through Twitter, through email, and I really appreciate people chiming in and it makes me excited about a topic to talk about it even more when there's so much interest in it 
So I, I, I got an email today. It was very good about uh, Case Keenum and the chemistry and not messing with that. And it's funny about how when you win, we sort of just eliminate all the other things in our mind that were either circumstances or didn't go well, right? I mean, w- with Washington in that game, if Case Keenum, instead of throwing the interceptions when they had a good lead, he threw those two interceptions, same balls to Kyle Rudolph underthrowing a pass and getting it picked and then throwing it into quadruple coverage. If that comes at a different time in that game, you probably lose. But it just so happened to come in a time where they could afford to give up an interception at that point. And if it's those happen in the first half, he's probably benched, and we're probably talking about Teddy Bridgewater in the game. And just the circumstances have sort of been just so to have Case Keenum continue to play. And it, it's worth saying again that when you lose Sam Bradford, you never expect to be talked about nine weeks later, eight weeks later as the game of the week against anyone you assume that your season's going to just be hanging on the edge or go right down the toilet and instead case keenum has done enough to keep that alive and he deserves a ton of credit for that he's earned his paycheck that they they hired him to do this earned a paycheck for next year too he's going to get a nice payday wherever he goes i would hope you know for the vikings sake that they you know they've, they've got to think about resigning him i mean it's interesting and i'm sure we can get into this at another show like the players that have had to step up in the absence of others, Case Keenum, Jarek McKinnon, they both should have a good payday wherever they end up next year. Yeah, oh, I agree with uh, McKinnon. Might be He might end up be the odd man out if when Delvin Cook comes mm-hmm. back. And Case Keenum, I don't think, is going to get another starting job in the NFL. I don't either. I think that, that we should squash that argument right now because there are a lot of people out there wondering, has he done enough to get a starting job? next season and beyond and I don't know if it's just because you're looking back at yeah, he was the starter in 2016 in Los Angeles only kind of by default because golf was not prepared for it like he's yeah. never really meant to be a starter in the NFL that just has not been part of you know part of his his makeup as an NFL player and the evaluators do get it wrong sometimes on quarterbacks uh, nobody drafted Russell Wilson when they should have uh, especially coming out of the draft but guys who have a body of work, I mean, the, the, you, what we've seen from quarterbacks like Case Keenum, Brian Hoyer, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Josh McCown, players like this, is that there are stretches in there because they're NFL quarterbacks where they play really well. And then there are also stretches where they don't play well. And that's the difference between being a starter and a backup. But being able to come in and have a handful of good games a handful of other games that you survived and got through and won, you feel like that's exactly the top level of backup that you can ever have, as opposed to someone like Tom Savage, where as soon as you turn him the ball, you just lose every game. I mean, Or Brock Osweiler. Yeah, it, apparently. I think that team has given up, though, Denver, by the way. I do, too. I think that that's – the AFC West is – I think every. I mean, outside of the Chiefs, I think. I mean, obviously the Chargers have had some flashes. What a crap year for the AFC West. Stunning too, because I yeah. would have said that that, uh, that was been, supposed to be the strongest division yeah. in football, as it was last year. So let's move on from that conversation, though. Okay. I think I think we're on the same page that we agree we will see Teddy at some point. Nothing this week has changed our thought process there, and that Case Keenum does give them a chance to win against the Los Angeles Rams. But there's also a possibility that if he struggles, we could see Teddy Bridgewater. So let's get into Rams versus Vikings, and then we could talk about what we heard from Delvin Cook sure. uh, today at, later on. This is a great 
football matchup from position to position to position. Just going over it, thinking about Everson Griffin coming back in the Vikings defensive line versus the Rams offensive line. It's been my opinion that Andrew Whitworth has been as valuable to his team as any player in the NFL this year. Mm-hmm. What, what have you seen? What's your opinion of why the Rams offense is so much better outside of just signing Whitworth to play left tackle? Well, I mean, look at Sean McVay. Look at all the formations that they've like some of the strangest formations in the NFL and they work. They try out everything. Um, the fact that they're outscoring their opponents in the last four games, 114 to 41, is no mistake. I mean, that's that's a huge, huge margin and they have the chance now to be the first team since the 49ers in 1956 to 65 to go um, from last place in scoring to first place in scoring and I think that that, you know, that's no, it's not just personnel. I mean, you have the same running back. You have the same quarterback. Sean McVay has been able to get the most out of them, and I think he's just you know a brilliant offensive mind. And what he's been able to do offensively there, he's let Wade Phillips come in and install his defense, make a ton of changes in personnel pretty early on. You know, by week four, I think we saw the Michael Brockers move. Um, you know, taking a traditional one technique and, and moving him out to, to you know be a pass rusher. Um, it's impressive. I really enjoy seeing the turn. Around because it was so unexpected. I think they had like a 13% chance to make the playoffs at the beginning of the season, and now they're running the table in, you know, in the NFC West, and, and I think they may run the table in this matchup. I agree with you on McVeigh. I mean, part of it is clearly personnel. You add a Hall of Fame left tackle, two really good wide receivers uh, from the Buffalo Bills. I mean, but it's funny that they both come from the same team, uh, but and they've been so good in Los Angeles, but. Mike Zimmer said on Wednesday that the offense that the Rams are running reminds him of what we saw in Washington last week because Sean McVay was, was there. Right, yeah. kind of the, 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 the inventor of that offense. I would expect that there are going to be some serious challenges for the Vikings defense here because we saw where Washington had success against the Vikings defense. Sometimes they were able to spread things out and get mismatches. I'm thinking of that fourth down play where Chris Thompson ends up one-on-one with Eric Hendricks. And as good as Kendricks is at covering running backs, Thompson is more of a wide receiver type, and he and he burns him, and they get a big gain there. They were able to pull off some, some big chunks of yardage that we hadn't really seen against this Vikings defense before, in part because they hadn't seen an offense so dynamic like Washington. And there are a lot of similarities here. So if you were putting a number on it, how many points is a good performance to give up if you're the Vikings defense? It's not going to be a, a shutout more than likely. Mm-hmm. You are at home. That helps as opposed to last week against Washington. But is 21 still a good performance potentially against Absolutely. This team? I mean, this team's averaging like 40 points a game. So I think that that's, you know, if you cut that in half about, that's respectable because they're they have really good receivers they've got a really good offensive line I mean I can't honestly think of too many flaws that they have among their skill position guys um, that could you know that would be a knock almost against the Vikings defense I think that you know there there is something to be said too about Everson Griffin you know needing to return for this game because they just they didn't pressure Kirk Cousins from the outside and um you know, I think the interior part of the defensive line kind of saved the day in that turn in terms of that last week between Linville Joseph and, and Tom Johnson. But um, outside, I mean, they struggled. Daniil Hunter kind of had to hold down his side, and Brian Robeson was 
good. I think Mike Zimmer kind of went through it at the beginning of the week and didn't really give him too much praise uh, because they only got, what, six six uh, pressures on, like, 82 pass rush snaps. So, What did you make of the decision, just to, to go back a bit, of moving Hunter to the other side? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, some, I was po- that was a question that was posed um, a bunch on Twitter right before the game because of, you know, moving Hunter to fill in for where Everson usually plays and keeping Robeson there on the left side of the defensive line. I mean, I think it's just know your personnel. You know, that's a, that's a situation, too, where they know how good the play action is with Kirk Cousins and try to keep it as simple as possible because that was a late scratch. I mean, Everson was out there working out. I saw him for about 20 minutes on the field, and then, you know, we all saw the unbelievably motivating video that the Vikings put out of him they hitting guys there, in the yeah. head and and every other word had to be bleeped out. But, hey, I mean, those guys wanted to run through a wall. Just a little surprising that they couldn't turn running into a wall into, you know, pressuring the quarterback, just saying. The, the interior definitely did. Yeah. And, it, and it looked like Linval Joseph wanted to end someone's life. Oh, my <laughs> God. When he, like, mauled the center, and I think it was on the, um, the QB sneak where, you know, uh, I, th- that play just took forever for them to call the whistle for the um, – you know, for for the referees to do it for Washington, and I, I was very worried about the um, the Washington center and the and what his chances of surviving that would have and, been. And I haven't checked on that wide receiver that he took out either, but I, I don't think he was doing very well after. This the is game. what this is why I get on the the uh, Linville Joseph hype train. He's so athletic, like freakishly athletic for someone who's like three hundred and thirty pounds. The way he ran him down was scary. Can you imagine that coming charging at you? He's not just somebody who just eats up double teams. I mean, he's so. I think he's he might be the most uh, athletic player that they have on the defensive line. Just saying. All things considered, his strength and quickness at that size, it's kind of like when we talk about smaller players like pound for pound. Well, pound for pound, he probably is uh, because you usually don't see a nose tackle down the field hitting a wide receiver. Uh, I don't think any wide receiver ever expects to see the 300 and whatever number of I don't of think pounds. whatever defensive coordinator thinks that your nose tackle is going to be um, you know, doing that either. Back to, though, the, the yeah. defense for this week. Because mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're on the same page with Lindvall being a freak of nature. Um, if Everson's back to 100%, I think some of his effect is mitigated by them having one of the best left tackles in the league over the last decade. Um, but where I'm really interested to see is what they decide to do with the two wide receivers. And Cooper Cup, too. I mean, he's been a nice uh, addition for them. It seems like he was a guy that got really his name got hot at the Senior Bowl, and then he's been able to transfer that over to being a, a pretty good wide receiver in the NFL. So they've got you know multiple weapons, but it's Watkins and Woods that are the two guys who are their top wide receivers. How do you approach them with Xavier Rhodes? Well, I think there's not as we talked about before. I mean, there's not going to be a whole ton of shadowing in this game. I mean, Rhodes. You know, last week against Josh Doxson, who just did not have a very good game, I think that that was a nice sign of respect that he stayed on him for most of the game. But, um, you know, it would make sense for him to, you know, be on the right side of the field for most of this game because I think that they're going to switch up their looks with both. um, I mean, you could throw Tavon Austin in there too. Um, But both, uh, you know, Watson and Robert Woods, uh, they've been so effective. I think what isn't isn't, – isn't Watson coming off, or, or excuse me, Watkins? Um, isn't no Woods is coming off the career game? Yes, and and I think everybody's now one yards. I think yeah, and he had two touchdowns, right? 
Yes. Okay. So, maybe. I mean, I think a lot of people are wondering what his ceiling is because I don't know if we really expected him to be this effective and if it's just a design, if it's a product of McVay's system or if it's, you know, they, they really haven't played a whole lot of great teams and a lot of great defenses the last few weeks. But I wouldn't be surprised to see him using both of those guys along with Tavon Austin in a number of different situations. Well, nobody knows better than me how Buffalo has a tendency yeah, exactly. to hold back players, and I think that <laughs> might have been the case with uh, both wide receivers, but especially Robert Woods, who uh, I recall them having high hopes for but never quite reaching his ceiling in part because they never had tremendous quarterback play. Uh, they never had explosive offenses really that, that fit him because he had a deep catch last uh, week, but he's not like a pure deep wide receiver. Uh, he could kind of do it all. So, I mean, the, the fact that they have just a number of different weapons and they really haven't even used their uh, rookie tight end. Is Everett hurt? I don't, I don't know. Uh, but he was a guy that they drafted and had some, some hopes for. I haven't checked in on him really. But they use Todd Gurley out of the backfield. He's number one in the NFL in yards from scrimmage. So they're using him as their third best wide receiver right now. And uh, that, that could create some really intriguing matchups around the field of how the Vikings are going to adapt and adjust, especially if they don't have Andrew Sendejo, which is, seems like that's a possibility. Like, will they have Anthony Harris fill in for him again, as they have earlier this year? Or could they even move Terrence Newman, Terrence Newman to safety because Mackenzie Alexander played well last week? Yeah, I mean, there's, that's something that I think you want to consider because what's the last game he missed, wasn't it? So Cleveland. We, Cleveland. The suspension. Yes. Um, and before that, he was injured for the Detroit game, I want to say, right? Uh, Green Bay. Green Bay. That's right. Because then they had then they had Harris, um, and that would have been an absolute disaster against Aaron Rodgers. But um, those circumstances were mitigated. But, um, yeah, I could, see t- it, I could see Terrence Newman, you know, being able to rove back there and be able to fill in in a number uh, they could use him out of a number of different packages i mean it would be smart too i think just given you know the strength of those wide receivers and some of the looks that they um you know have given teams so far and just how they've been able to pick apart some of the secondaries that that might be a smart thing to kind of have it by personnel and a rotation uh real quick on gerald everett he was he has been hurt he just hasn't been targeted a whole lot because they've been using okay. players. so okay i, I was curious just because i he had high expectations uh in a really good tight end draft and just hasn't done a whole lot yet. Uh, On the other side of the ball for the Vikings, so Case Keenum will be your quarterback at least... uh, At least this week. Until they decide he isn't. Uh, How are they going to handle Aaron Donald? Because, uh, you know, I've been aware of Aaron Donald, who he is, and I know he's good, and he's always at the top of the pro football focus rankings, but I hadn't watched him specifically on tape. Had no reason to Mm -hmm. with them not playing the Rams until now. Uh, but did a little bit of that last night, and I don't know that there's another player in the league that is so unblockable. That He reminds me of players through history like Lawrence Taylor, Derek Thomas, I mean, even John Randall at times where this guy is just going to get in the backfield. There's nobody who can stop him, and he's probably going to face off with Nick Easton a lot of the day. He'll get double teamed, I'm sure, but he gets double teamed every week and he finds his way in the backfield. I don't know that there's a good way to try and stop him. No, and I mean, I did a, I took kind of like a silent poll um, among the players that I covered last year out in, or anonymous poll out in California. His name, I said, who is the hardest, you know, for all, I, obviously I interviewed offensive linemen for this, but I was like, who is the most difficult? So it wasn't that anonymous. Not really, but it's just kind of like, it was one of those things. It was just just in, casual, in casual conversation, but it was, um, 
you know, who's the most difficult player you've ever gone up against. And this is even like some veterans, um, i.e. some players who have been in the league more than eight or nine years. But I mean, this is the least anonymous poll ever. I know. Um, but it's saying something. I mean, he's he's so young still. And I think it was really impressive with what Case Keenum said yesterday. He called him underrated. I mean, there was all the stuff this year about a missing training camp and, you know, had to set out the first game and, you know, where he's at. I mean, he's in line for a very, very, very big contract soon. Um, I think he might be the most explosive interior guy that, if it makes sense, almost plays like in, plays like somebody on the outside of mm-hmm. a defensive yeah. line. I mean, I think that that's – he's so – every part of his skill set from his leverage to his bull rush to everything, I mean, he's just unbelievable. I don't, I don't know if there's anybody else that's a better – I mean, he grades – if you look at Pro Football Focus and all those other – you know, anybody who evaluates players, he's – it's just like nobody's even close to where he's at at the top. Yeah, I mean, there's some really good interior one. linemen, but it's almost like he's up there at number one. Everybody's – there's a long step back before you get to, like, one F, one whatever, you know, I don't even know where you'd start the alphabet after that. Usually it's like one A. But I don't even think there is that. I think he owns A through F. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just made, wanted to clear that up, what you were talking about there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, he's just, you can't say enough good things about him. And, I mean, he's won, like, you know, he's won a million awards for everything he's done so far, and he's still in the beginning part of his career. His ceiling is so high. Uh, you know, I, maybe he kind of reminds me of um, someone like J.J. Watt in terms of how unstoppable he is, mm-hmm. or maybe even Jadavion Clowney in the fact that he can play inside and beat people. He could play outside and beat people if they want to do that. And it just gives so many options for Wade Phillips around him because you know that all the focus is going to have to be on him. So the biggest area where I think that this could be an impact is in the play action that where we've seen the Vikings have a ton of success is throwing in two tight ends, putting in Latavius Murray and saying, look, we swear we're going to run the ball, bring in all your linebackers and everything. But this team's a little different because they don't have the traditional linebackers. Mark Barron was a safety and he's kind of that hybrid guy so they don't necessarily follow along with the standard rules of how you bring in your three linebackers if they have two tight ends and all of those things that we saw Washington, I think, make mistakes in, in last week. Mm-hmm. I mean, Washington, I think, was overly concerned that the Vikings were going to run up the middle on them. And then they start bringing a safety up into the box, which I will never understand why teams against the Minnesota Vikings bring a safety into the box and one safety deep when you have Diggs and Thielen healthy. Mm-hmm. Why would you do that? Because you know one of them, you can only bring the safety over the top of one of them, and they can beat anyone in the league. I mean, Diggs embarrassed Josh Norman on the deep ball. They, they had no problem with going at him. They know these guys can get open. They embarrassed. I, I mean, Josh Norman was on that Thielen play, too. Right, yeah. Thielen embarrassed him with a juke move. So I don't think that Wade Phillips will make that same mistake that Washington made last week. Um And if you take away the play-action game from the Vikings, I think that the offense becomes a little more limited. And how do you deal with a team that can create pressure without really needing to blitz a whole lot? Yeah. I mean, well, the Vikings don't need – they don't blitz a whole ton either. I mean, they might be – you might be seeing a lot more even matchup between the two defenses uh, with Wade Phillips and Mike Zimmer, what they do, than we've seen at all this season. I think – 
as I'm going back to that point about Michael Brockers, moving him from inside to outside, that's created so many more pass rush situations in the way that they're able to pressure quarterbacks. Um, it's a smart move. They moved Robert Quinn around too. I mean, there's been this is not an easy defense, I don't think, to learn. Um, and you know, and when we talked to Sean McVay about it on the conference call yesterday, of how his players have been able to buy in. I mean, I think it's all the personnel switches that he's had to make. Um, they're, they're, the thing that stands out to me with you know, their cornerbacks is just how many takeaways they have. That's something that the Vikings just aren't touted for because they don't have a lot of interceptions. Um, but the Rams do, and I think just you know, where they're playing on the field um, you know, has helped them you know, to be able to, you know, to be at the top of the league in that category. And I think some of their, you know, the way that they disguise their coverages has been thrown a lot of teams off. It is funny that in this game you're going to have Sean McVay, who's 31 years old, right? 30, right? 30 years old. And you're going to have Wade Phillips, who has uh, got to be in his 70s, 100, right? Maybe. Yeah, possibly 100. Mike Zimmer, who is approaching 70. How old is he? 60-something? Something. Whatever. In his 60s. Yeah. Okay, maybe not approaching 70 yet. I think he's in his early 60s. So you've got these two coaches who have been around forever, who have been all the way around the league, and then the young guy, too, in the same – game and you've got the offensive innovators versus the defensive minds it really sets up to be a chess match type game that i feel like just in typical nfl fashion this will disappoint us in some way because every time you get hyped about a game it does but this one just has the makings of a game that should be really exciting from matchup to matchup and from the coaching matchups too yeah, I mean, Wade. Def- I, I like I like when w- they play defenses that have a three-four front. I think it's, you know, it was like, weren't we kind of expecting an exciting matchup with that though in Pittsburgh, and it kind of was like, eh. Like, well, and Cameron Hayward played yeah. the role of Aaron Donald in that game. Exactly. So that, I mean, that, that's where I would be most concerned because Cameron Hayward controlled that game against Nick Easton on that side, and. If they do the same thing with Aaron Donald and they don't find a way to stop him, I mean the biggest difference though. I mean is probably, you double him. Like there's yeah. no there's no doubt that that's going to be, you know, a job that Pat Elfline is going to have to you know have to step his game up on that. But he's been pretty good, I want to say, against most of the, you know the interior guys that he's faced and some of those you know some of the better um, you know defensive tackles. It will be interesting to see if they decide to go with more screen passes because mm-hmm. of that to try and get guys moving and try to cause a little bit more havoc. I mean, they've done a lot of screen passes so far this year, mm-hmm. but even dialing that up because they probably won't have as many opportunities in the play-action game, uh, that might be one way to approach it. But Kyle Rudolph mentioned yesterday the speed to the ball that this team has. It's going to be, I would say, it's got to be the toughest defensive matchup that this team has faced all year, oh, probably without, by without far. without question. I think that that's that's a given for this game and you know to that point about screen passes with with your screen game this is going to be a big game for Jarek McKinnon I think bigger than Latavius Murray just because I don't you're not going to be able to run very well on the Rams and you know we didn't we haven't seen a whole ton from McKinnon uh you know obviously the last two weeks well back going back to the Browns game that was you know a very explosive performance for him and it was just a different scenario with you know how Latavius Murray was able to get hot early on in that first series and get the touchdown. Kind of a quiet day almost. Nobody talked about Latavius Murray scoring the first touchdown that game because 
you're looking at the explosive pass plays that set that up. But I think McKinnon's going to be huge in this game and be, you know, kind of the catalyst for getting that screen game going because we've seen against, you know, multiple opponents this year that he has been that catalyst, you mm-hmm. know, with the short passing game and, you know, getting out into the flat when they couldn't, you know, get the ball moving otherwise. Yeah, and if you're talking about creating explosive plays, I think you always have that opportunity with Diggs and Thielen, but it will be harder. This week than it was against Washington, who did not have a great pass rush against the Vikings at all. In fact, I think only nine passes, Keenum only threw nine passes when he was getting pressured last week, which was a great job by Pat Shermer, but also by Rashad Hill, who was filling in for Mike Remmers, who should be back this week. That really helps them quite a bit. Um, But uh, the, the matchup is kind of become the rarity for a year where a lot of stars are hurt. So on a weekly basis, you're just hoping there's a good matchup in the league, and this happens to be, I think, the best one in the NFL all week. To your point, though, I want to go back to you know the Case Keenum pressure and all of that. As you said, you know, uh, statistically, I think it's skewed because I think he has done well against pressure. He's done well at like career numbers against the blitz this year. Um, I've got it right here. 12 of 18 for 167 yards, two touchdowns, so one to Thielen and to Diggs, um, and an interception against the Redskins. Uh, you know, that's a career high for most completions. That was against the Blitz. Against the Blitz. And what you're talking about with, you know, pressure, I think he's done well against it. I know that, you know, we're talking about different things, and we're talking about, you know, where that pressure is coming from. Outside, I agree. I think that that's been a little bit tougher for him. But, you know, a lot of his throws have been outside of the pocket. Like, in the, last, in the last, what, two or three games, Browns for sure, because that Thielen play on the, uh, when the coverage broke down for, for, uh, the, for the Browns, I mean, that safety was expecting help, and he was able to get away from him, bought, bought his time there. And I think you saw it a little bit here against the Redskins, but I would, you know, if I'm the Vikings, I mean, that is something to be concerned about, you know, where that pressure's coming from, because if it's coming up the middle, I think he's got, you know, he's got a great offensive line. You couldn't ask for a better situation for, you know, your backup to be in a spot to to evade such pressure. But from outside, yeah, I do think that that's... But, but like, let's talk about the whole picture, though, because he has done well against the Blitz. It's just, you know, where is that pressure coming from? I think that's what people need to specify when they're saying he sucks against it, because that's just not true. Uh, well, I think um, Pro Football Focus's Eric Eager was on our last podcast, and we were talking about against the against pressure how quarterbacks often from year to year fluctuate a lot, and maybe that could be because of team talent or your uh, offensive line. Yeah, offensive line. How much one interception can impact your quarterback rating or things like this? So maybe if you get one tipped interception your ratings a 67 instead of a 90 or something because it has that much of an impact mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons quarterback rating can be such a wonky stat um, I, I, I think Keenum against pressure because of his movement can be effective but against the blitz I just think they've done a great job picking it up yeah. like Jarek McKinnon and Latavius Murray have been fantastic and Keeping McKinnon had a really end. good blitz pickup I want to say in the second quarter he did last yeah. week I watched a Someone had a GIF of it on. Um, you say GIF, huh? It's not GIF. Not GIF. On uh, I saw okay. it on, on Twitter and I rewatched it because it's it's hard. It's annoying during a game when you can't have. It makes me wonder about you. Okay, that's fine. But no, I mean he's. You're right about that. I think that's been a huge thing. Part of their running game um, is just the pass protection that those guys, those assignments, they've dominated. Um, 
Do you expect the Minnesota Vikings to win this sporting contest at U.S. Bank Stadium? You know I don't, and I'm going to stick with a prediction that I made uh, at the midway point. Oh, negative. Of this. Okay, I, at the midway point of the season, I did my picks for the second half, and Why some of them, will, some of them will be adjusted going forward. Like my Green Bay pick will likely be adjusted. That was before the game against Detroit. That was before last week where they won. Um, but no, I think I am going to stick with my pick that. Um, the Rams are going to win this game. It's going to be a shootout, which is going to be fun, exciting football for people to watch. But I think that the way that they're playing, as I said, four-game winning streak, coming out here, outscoring opponents by a ridiculous amount. Um, I think the strength that they have you know, offensively is going to outweigh what the Vikings can do, and I'm just not so sure that Case Keenum isn't going to get happy feet, essentially, um, and make some errant throws. I don't think he's going to throw in a triple coverage again off his back foot, but I do think that that's going to be a problem. One factor with the Case Keenum analysis is we haven't seen him this year have to come back in a game. Think about it, right? Yeah. I mean, they were okay. They're down like what three points or something to the Chicago, Chicago Bears. Yeah, it's not really a comeback. Uh, they're down one point at half to Cleveland. Cleveland. Are they down at any other point other than in Detroit where they lost or Pittsburgh when they lost? No. I can't think of another Got time. a nice sizable lead against Tampa Bay. Um, what else were we forgetting? The Ravens was not not a contest. I mean, they were down at times against yeah. Washington, but not right during that. There are points in the game where they're not winning, but it was never a situation where you needed to come back from 10 points down. And it was never a situation down. even after those two interceptions that you felt like, oh, man, the game's given away. If it, As you said earlier, if it was at a different time in the game and not the end of the third quarter and then again at the beginning of the fourth quarter, we're talking about a different scenario. But, yeah, he, he's, he hasn't had to play from behind, and now the, and the Vikings have never really played with much of a lead. So it's kind of two things there that they're just not well-versed in. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you on the result. Uh, I feel like the Rams have a better situation overall, have played better overall this season. Mm-hmm. Their point differentials would suggest that. I don't think either team has had a particularly hard schedule, uh, but the Rams did pretty well against the Jaguars' defense, which I think you could argue is the best defense in the NFL. Um, so, you know, they have blown out the teams that they were supposed to blow out. I mean, if, you can't just say, oh, they beat a bunch of bad teams. Yeah, but they beat the tar out of them, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, that, that matters, Didn't They too. shut out Arizona, right? Was that 33-0? to zero? Yep, okay. yep. So, I mean, they, they've really beaten down they've uh, hand, yeah, some they've of the bad Yeah, they've handled everything they've needed to do. Um, and I think, that they, I mean, they've done it from the jump. Like, this is a team that expectations were not this high. No, I mean, I thought, you know, that they would improve because of a new coach. I mean, getting rid of Jeff Fisher automatically gives you a couple of wins. That right? shouldn't have happened in December last year. It should have <laughs> happened in before Hard Knocks started. But uh, So I'm with you on the final result. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the Vikings' defense will probably hold down the Rams' offense to below an average mm-hmm. performance. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to put up 35 or, or 40 points. But I think they still probably win in part because their defense is so strong. And then we'll have a really interesting conversation about who the quarterback is the following week. The one factor that always exists here is U.S. Bank Stadium has been very difficult for other teams to come in and beat the Vikings. That it seems to really benefit the Vikings defense to be at home. It's one of the noisiest stadiums that you're ever going to find, and they just seem to play better there, as you would expect a team playing better at home. But this might have one of the bigger home field advantages in the league, and I think that probably evens the playing field a little bit. I still lean uh, toward the Rams on this, but um, 
Delvin Cook talk today, mm-hmm. uh, I will tell you my biggest takeaway, then you can tell me yours. I'll go first. I okay. decided. <laughs> All right. My biggest takeaway was just how much Teddy Bridgewater is helping him. Good and, lord, dude. Uh, You've seen a smile like that? I mean, you <laughs> say the word Teddy and the guy just lights up. That he said that Teddy called him every day after his ACL uh, injury. And, I mean, that look happens on the faces of lots of teammates with yeah. Teddy when you talk to him about that. I mean, that's sort of the thing about this being a controversy outside of the room but not inside of the room. I, I, don't, I think that the players appreciate both quarterbacks. And uh, Teddy, as you would expect, has handled uh, everything in front of the media as you thought he would. That he hasn't said anything that would make you lean toward this being a controversy inside of the locker room or splitting the locker room or anything like that. Uh, So Teddy helping Delvin Cook to recover and him talking about how it's helped him even grow as a player to go through something like this early in his career... Uh, long term, this might be something he feels like he grew from and became even better because of. And the ceiling for him is franchise player. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, it could. It, it, it was hard when it happened, just because you know, for him, he's breaking all these records. He's you know at the top of you know the leader chart for running backs. He's you know on pace to have a really really good rookie year. And you know, he's not the only one who got injured. I think that it almost is a a rude awakening but a smart time for this wake-up call to happen that this is something you're going to be dealing with you know the risk of this the risk of injuries when you see J.J. Watt when you see Deshaun Watson you see Odell Beckham Jr. list goes on and on and on and on and he's part of that list too I mean it may be you can't prepare for this but I think that there was a good perspective for him to have um, you know going through this when he sees the other greats in the league going through it. Do you think the GIF GIF thing is like regional or just people decided in their brains and then they don't want to go back on it? GIF peanut butter is J I F. That is GIF. GIF. G with a G. GIF. See, I think the inventor of them called it a GIF, though. Did he spell it with a well, J? I mean, how about giraffe? It starts with the J and you know, I'm, I. I'm not a linguist, but like, I mean, mm. I think that I have it right and I think you're wrong. Okay. We should take a Twitter poll on this. That, that seems like a, a lot of people's approach to the Teddy and Case is uh, oh my God. <laughs> tweeting you, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong because you're around the team every single day and you totally have no idea what you're talking about, right? Well, anyway, I, I do appreciate all the feedback. It's been great uh, to have this conversation, and I don't think it's going anywhere, at least uh, for this week. And I do think that more people than not, at least Monday when Zimmer says, I know who my quarterback is going to be, I'm just not going to tell you. Um, I think more than not, most people were in agreement that do not get off this winning horse. We've been here before. We know what it's like to be hot. Um, and, then, and then things just don't go well. When when you see a clear path, at least right now, not saying a clear path to victory, but a clear decision, don't screw it up. And I think that most people at least are in agreement that, you know, for another week it is Case Keenum's job. And, and I was there too. I mean, yeah. I, I would have started him this week as well and then had a plan for when to bring Teddy Bridgewater back unless Keenum continued to throw for 300 yards and four touchdowns on a weekly basis, which based on his career seems uh, pretty unlikely. But uh, for those who have uh, gotten a little weary of that topic, I hope that we um, broke down enough of the offensive line versus defensive line for you. And also I would say I don't think the topic's going anywhere, at least for another week. I don't think it's going anywhere this season. Probably not. If Teddy Bridgewater does return and then has some struggles, then you will have the case people being very loud. 
Yes. Or if Teddy comes back, um, in you know, as you said, if he struggles, or if he gets, you know, if this team locks up a first round bye, um, the future then, because we still have to talk about 2018. We have to talk about who their franchise potential franchise quarterback is going to be. Uh, could it be Teddy Bridgewater? I mean, it certainly is a possibility. But what about this? What if? What if? everything's getting screwed up and everything's wrong. And then it's, you know, they do make the playoffs though. And then you're looking, Hey, eight weeks are up. What about that guy who's on IR? I, Oh, you mean that guy, Shmam Schmamford, Schmamford, Sam Bradford. Yeah, I know, Ryan but it's Schmamford that yeah, I don't sounded know. weird. Just trying to be funny. You're trying to be funny. Like where Dalvin cook, my, my you never asked me my takeaway. What was your takeaway, Courtney? I think it was cool that uh, Sam Bradford has gotten a chance to um, do his rehab with uh, with Dalvin Cook. I mean, you don't get to see much personality from him, and I even from Bradford, it, from Bradford yeah, even his teammates have said that. You know, where he's really quiet um, everywhere, and I mean, he's just not a rah rah guy. And that you know, he's in the he's in the training room, and I think it's cool for Cook to experience what he's going through with guys who have you know gone through it before and. It can't hurt to get insight from somebody who, you know, has made $100 million in his career um, and been through this before, been through multiple knee injuries, because you never, you know, you're always concerned about how is he going to be able to come back from this? Is he going to be able to make some of the same, you know, the mo- same motion, same cut, same speed? And, of course, Dalvin's going to say, yeah, I'm young. Of course I'm – but you've never been through it before. That's the problem. You've never been through this. You've had hamstring injuries. That's about it. So he honestly has no clue what the hell he's in for. So I think that that's a smart situation to get him around a guy, you know, just by circumstance, um, who can, you know, who's gone through two ACL injuries himself, and now we don't really know what he's going through. But, um, you know, at least we don't even know if he's around the team right now, but at least when, you know, Cook was in the beginning stages, he was. Well, I guess that tells us that he is, right? That he yeah. is at least still in the, the He never facility. specified a timetable, but yeah, that's uh, true. by the look of his locker with all the boxes piled up and, you know, that's everything That's the Shree Floyd look from yeah. last year where it's pretty clear the guy isn't around the team anymore. Um, or that the, the IR look is the boxes next to the yeah. locker. Um, but back to Bradford, I mean, wouldn't that be nuts? Yes. Or if uh, Kyle Sloter has to come in and take it to the Super Bowl, that would also be <laughs> nice. I mean, yeah. I, I wouldn't count anything out. No, not uh, with not with this team, and not except with all. that. I probably would count out Kyle Slaughter taking him to Super Bowl. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to count it. I want to keep it going. <laughs> I think it'd be fun. Well, you did predict that we would see four quarterbacks this year, so we haven't seen that quite yet. But I would not count it out. I wouldn't count out anything after last year in Week 17. I walked. Uh, through the press box and looked up and saw a guy hanging from a giant banner at the end of the year. Yeah, there was a protesters hung a banner and there was a guy hanging from it. What was the protest? Um, something with the um, the pipeline in the oh the Keystone XXL pipeline or whatever it is. Yeah, I'm not I, I well forget. The, on I, it, but I've heard of it. Forget the details. But last year we thought we had seen everything with Zimmer's eyeball to Norv Turner. Uh, resigning to whatever other thing. The plane went off the rails at one point. We thought we saw everything, and then that happened too. So I would not count out anything with this team. Uh, but we on the Purple Podcast will be here to discuss it all with you, friends, uh, more often these days. It's been great, the uh, the amount of attention for this team now that they're mm-hmm. in the driver's seat to go to the playoffs and possibly beyond. So thank you all for listening, as usual, and thank you for your time, Courtney. Good day. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. 
The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts.